What's up, 78 and 912 students? Welcome back to another week of our series, By Faith. This week, uh, this series has been a very interesting series. It's been a very uh, enlightening series for us because we have been looking at Hebrews chapter 11, and we have been looking at different biblical figures, different biblical characters who have walked by faith. And just to recap the past couple of weeks, we looked at the first week, Trey talked about Abel and that faith, living by faith, leads to sacrifice and giving. And then the following week, we talked about Noah, how faith leads to obedient work. Living by faith leads to obedient work. Abraham, when Sam taught about Abraham, Isaac, and Sarah, he taught about that living by faith leads to hope and a promise, and a promise that God has given us. And then this past week, uh, Trey looked at Jacob and Esau and was talking about living by faith does not mean living in the moment. And if we look at this list, it's, it's a pretty exhaustive list. But I think that's the beautiful thing about Hebrews chapter 11. When we hear live by faith, you just got to have more faith. You just have to have faith. That's a very incomplete picture. But when we look at these different narratives, at these different stories that Abraham, Isaac, Sarah, Jacob, Esau, Joseph, Moses, all these people coming together, it paints a beautiful, complete picture of what it means to live by faith. And today we're going to continue looking at this list, and we're going to be looking at a guy named Joseph. But before I want to talk about Joseph, I want to talk about a conversation me and my wife had. So a couple of months ago, right when all this quarantine stuff happened, everything was shutting down, and we actually like to go to the gym. That's one of the things that we spend time doing. We like spending time working out together, staying healthy, and all that good stuff. But we couldn't do that with gyms closing. City Station Fitness was closed. Atlanta Fitness down the street was closed. Everything was closed, right? So we decided to get into running. And this body doesn't like to run, but this body also doesn't like to be fat. So I decided to run. I don't like myself being bigger than I don't like myself running. Um, so we began to run. And we started pretty easy. We're running probably two miles at the most every couple days, uh, two or three times a day, or two or three times a week. But we eventually, after about a month and a half time, was able to, I was able to run four to five miles probably three times a week. And I actually enjoyed it. I like running. I like the adrenaline it brought. I like that runner's high that so many people talk about. I mean, I was nowhere near on like a Josh Beam kind of level. If you know Josh Beam from two years ago here at 912, that brother can run. He went to college to run across country. Bless his heart, right? Um, but I was sitting, we were sitting together at dinner one night, me and my wife. And I said, I think I want to run a half marathon. And if you don't know what a half marathon is, a half marathon is a 13.1 mile race. To put in perspective, the bypass from this point right here, City Station, to the movie theater is only five miles. 13.1 miles. I said, I think I want to run a half marathon. My wife looks me dead in, dead in the eye, and I kid you not, says, no, you don't. And I go, what the crap? Yeah, dude, I just said I want to run a 13.1-mile uh, race. I want to run a half marathon. She goes, really? You wouldn't, have, uh, you wouldn't have had goldfish and Oreos for lunch today if you wanted to run a half marathon. And I feel like that TikTok, you know, where they make fun of people, and it goes, words can hurt. I was right there. I was like, what the crap? No, I told you I want to run this 13-mile race, this half marathon. And Bailey looks me again in the eye, and she goes, no, you don't. And she was right. 
See, my actions were not leading me to run a half marathon. I love junk food. As many of y'all may critique me, my go-to fast food is a double cheeseburger, six-piece chicken nugget, large Dr. Pepper and fries from McDonald's. Judge me, I don't care, I love it. I love junk food. When I didn't want to run, when I didn't feel like running, I didn't run. I didn't build up my endurance. My actions were not leading me to run a half marathon. See, the faith I had in myself to obtain this future goal was very, very bleak. And if we look at this list of Hebrews 11, the thing about their faith, their faith in God, is their faith led to an obedience because of a hope they had. Let me say that again. Their faith led them to live in obedience because of a, because of a hope that they had. And the guy we're talking about today, Joseph, embodied this more than anybody else in my opinion, that his faith led him to live in obedience because of a confident hope that he had. And I want to talk about Joseph, but the crazy thing is, the things I'm talking about is not what is mentioned in Hebrews 11. And if you don't know who Joseph is, this is a crash course on the life of Joseph. Joseph is the son of Jacob, who Trey talked about last week. And Jacob is actually the grandson of Abraham. So Joseph is the great uh, grandson of Abraham. But Joseph is the youngest of 12 siblings. He has 12 older brothers. And he was a little bit of a punk. The thing that Joseph really had this cocky attitude, the thing that made this, is he would have dreams of him being in a position of influence, of leadership, of being very influential in nations and families, and he would tell his brothers this, he would tell his family members. His dad was even like, what do you expect us to bow down to you? And Joseph was like, yeah, I had this dream. God gave me this dream. I'm going to be an amazing leader. And some of you have been at your home with your siblings for what seems like an eternity, but in reality is 80-something days at this point, 90 days. And you're sick and tired of them because they are just breathing in the same household as you. Now imagine your punk little brother who is 10 years younger than you. So imagine your six-year-old brother is saying, I am going to be a leader over you. I'm going to be a leader of a great nation and you're going to bow down to me because these are dreams I'm having. You would get pretty sick and tired of that, right? Joseph's brothers did. In fact, they got so sick and tired one day, they're like, dude, this, this punk, I'm, I am tired of him. He's got to go. So his brothers, when they were working in a field one day, saw their brother Joseph coming up, and they're like, hey, you know what we should do? We should kill our brother. And they're like, yeah. And then he got closer, and they're like, that's kind of harsh. Let's uh, throw him in this hole over here, and we actually are going to sell him into slavery because that's a better alternative, Right? I promise your brothers and sisters, we'll never do this to you. But So they're like, yeah, we're not going to kill you, Joseph, but we're going to sell you into slavery because we're sick of you. We don't want you around. Like, you're, you're a punk. You're, not real, you're a jerk. Like, nobody likes that cocky attitude, right? So he was sold into slavery, and he was bought by this guy named Potiphar. And Joseph, he actually served in Potiphar, Potiphar's house very humbly and very obediently to the point where he actually get, became number two in Potiphar's house. He had a lot of influence in Potiphar's house. But then one day Potiphar's wife was getting kind of frisky with it. 
And she actually accused Joseph, and I want to quote this because this is how the NLT uh, phrased her word. Potiphar's wife accused Joseph of trying to fool around with her. So because of that, Joseph was thrown into prison. But in prison, Joseph came in contact with two people who served under Pharaoh. And Pharaoh, he is the leader of Egypt at this time. He is the most influential person in Egypt. And this is the land that this is very important in biblical history. Joseph is in Egypt, and he is a foreigner in Egypt. But he's, he's in prison with these two servants, a cupbearer and a baker of Pharaoh's. And they have dreams. And he interprets the dreams. And they both happen. So Pharaoh hears about this guy named Joseph who's in his prison and says, oh, I'm having some weird dreams. This brother needs to come up here and like try to interpret my dreams. So Joseph starts interpreting the dreams of Pharaoh and Pharaoh is so impressed with his heart, is impressed with his, with his worship and so impressed with Joseph as a worker, as a servant, that he actually eventually promotes Pharaoh or um, Joseph to number two, the right-hand man of Pharaoh. So Joseph has a lot of influence. And the main responsibility that Joseph had was being over the food bank of Egypt. At the capital of Egypt, they would bring food together in case of a famine to happen. And people from all over the nation, all over the country would come together at this capital to Pharaoh's house and they would get food because there was a famine. Joseph had interpreted a dream of Pharaoh of a famine that was gonna happen. Pharaoh made political, he made leadership, he made strategic decisions to supply this food bank before this famine was going to happen. And to twist the story to make it even crazier, a famine did happen just as Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dream. And guess who showed up to get food? Joseph's 12 brothers. They actually came in contact face to face with Joseph and they did not recognize him. You got to think, we think it has been years since Joseph's brothers had sold their brother Joseph into slavery. You got to think of the anger, the pent up anger that could be there. It's like, how could my brothers have do done this? And now, me, Joseph, I'm in a position where I can punish them. But that's not what happens. Joseph actually reconciles the relationship that he has with them. He actually gets to meet his father Jacob again after years of being a god. Years Jacob thought his son Joseph was dead. But all that to say is in Hebrews chapter 11, when it talks about Joseph, it doesn't talk about any of that. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22, it says this it says, It was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently, that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. And what this is in reference to is Joseph's last words before uh, the account of his life is done, before his death. And if you want to look at these last few words, it's Genesis chapter 50, and we're going to be reading from 22 until the very end, 26. So Joseph and his brothers and their families continue to live in Egypt, which is super important. Remember that they are in Egypt. Joseph lived to the age of 110. He lived to see three generations of descendants of his son, Ephraim, and he lived to see the birth of his children. Not even going to say it, um, 
maybe I will. Nope, I'm okay. Son, not here, who he claimed as his own. And then verse 24, Joseph said, soon I will die, but God will surely come to help you and lead you out of this land of Egypt. He will bring you back to the land he solemnly promised to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear on an oath, and he said, when God comes to you, comes to help you and lead you back, you must take my bones with you. So Joseph died at the age of 110. The Egyptians embalmed him, and his body was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Joseph had a confident hope. This promise that he's referring to in, these, in his last breaths is the promise that God gave Abraham of the promised land, of a land that it would be their own, that the nation of Israel would call their own, that the Israelites would call their own. At this point, Israel's basically enslaved to Egypt. The Israelites, the nation of Israel, Joseph and his brothers, his father Jacob, are foreigners in a foreign land. And at the time of Joseph's death, from the time of that promise that God gave Abraham, that's about a span of 200 years. You got to think, if I was in that situation, my great-grandfather said, hey, we're going to have our own nation, we're going to have our own land, our descendants are going to be as numerous as the uh, sand on the beach, as the stars in the sky, I would surely see that in my lifetime. But Joseph didn't. And not to get ahead of ourselves for next week, but it's another 200 years before the nation of Israel sees that. A guy named Joshua is the one who leads the nation of Israel into the promised land. And it's a crazy thing because it's not Moses. Moses is the one who splits the Red Sea, doesn't lead them into the nation for Israel. See, and I want to look at this faith of Joseph. See, I, just, I really, really believe that when somebody says, you just got to have faith, it's probably one of the easiest cop-outs of so a Christian could say because they don't know an answer to give you. And if somebody said that to you and you felt lonely and you felt abandoned, I want to apologize on behalf of the church. I'm sorry. Because if we, if, imagine Joseph's situation. Imagine if Potiphar were just to say, hey, I know you're in prison because you tried to fool around my wife. Just have faith. Imagine his brother selling him into slavery. He's like, Hey, Joseph, I know God said you're going to be a big leader. You're going to be a very influential person for the nation of Israel in the Egyptian land. We're going to sell you into slavery, but just have faith. That's sad. See, if we look at Joseph's faith, I believe it's much more like a process. And this process I want to talk about, it's Romans chapter 5. If you want to flip over there to your Bibles, Romans chapter 5. And I want to lay out this process for you. Romans chapter 5, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 5. It says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. 
Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into a place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. That's the thing that makes the playing field level for everybody. Jesus levels the playing field. We are brought into undeserved privilege. We have been brought into as the righteousness of God because of the sacrifice of God. And now, because of this, we have a responsibility to have faith in that, to believe in that message. And when we do, the process flows and is cyclical and it continues on and on. And this is the process. Verse 3, it says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know they have they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope and salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So here's the process, I believe. I believe faith leads to joy. Joy leads, joy leads to endurance. Endurance leads to strengthening our character. And our character leads us to a confident hope. And I want to give us some definitions today about these words I'm using because these are very churchy words. And I want to make a very, uh, not simple, but clear definition. Faith is assurance that we know how the end of the story goes. We know Jesus has defeated evil. That's not a surprise to us Christians, church. See, we have faith and we believe the gospel message because we know how the story ends. Faith. Joy. Non-circumstantial happiness. A happiness that passes circumstances. A happiness that isn't dependent on how your family treats you. A happiness that isn't dependent on how good you do at your baseball game this weekend. Joy. Endurance. Sharpened perseverance, a perseverance that does not stop, endurance. Strength of character, our character, the refinement of self through testing of situation. And this refinement process and testing, it's talking about how you test silver, how back in biblical times they would test silver. The way you would test silver is you would put silver in a pot and you would get it to the boiling point. And the, at the boiling point, all the imperfections would rise to the top of the pot and the blacksmith, the ironsmith would scrape off the imperfections and it would continue to do it until there were no imperfections in it. That's testing. And then confident hope. Unshakable assurance of something not fully experienced. See, faith leads to joy because we know the end of the story and we know that we are going to experience victory through Christ. The enemy is defeated. We sing songs about that multiple, multiple times. We know how the story ends, church. And if that doesn't bring joy to you, I would challenge you to really ask the question, why does that not bring joy to me? See, Joseph, he knew, even in slavery, even when his brothers uh, plotted to kill him, when he was in prison, the end of the story. 
I believe joy leads to endurance because since we know the end is written, we're going to push through anything and everything to get to that end goal, which is Christ. Endurance leads to strength of character because tough times refine us and allow us to actually examine what our heart is actually in pursuit of. One of the best ways that somebody has their heart revealed to them is when there is pressure in life, when the heat's cranked up, when there's a difficult situation at home, when there's a pain that hasn't been forgiven. And then our character leads us to confident hope because through all of this, we are confident not in ourselves, but in what God has promised us. It's been 200 years for Joseph. And on his deathbed, he says, when God comes through, take my bones with you. Because that is how confident I am. Joseph's faith was in the promise God gave to Abraham. And even in slavery, even in wrong accusations, Joseph still had joy. And through being in prison, forgiving his brothers, Joseph's character was strengthened. His endurance, his perseverance was growing. And with this refined assurance, Joseph had a confident hope that God was going to fulfill his promise. And when we look at him, we see Joseph as this great figure of faith. But I think we miss the point why he's a figure of faith. It's because his faith led him to obedience because of a hope he had. This hope he had and this promise, it wasn't going to happen for another 200 years. And when we actually look at Joseph, Joseph attained greatness. He was number two in the nation of Israel. But it was greatness as a stranger in a strange land. But he never doubted that the promise would come true up to his last breath. Joseph did not die in despair, but in hope. See, Joseph's heart was to sharpen the desire of his own nation, the nation of Israel, to find confidence in Yahweh, to find confidence in the one true God. Yahweh, that they might earnestly chase after that promise, after that hope, after that redemption of God. And Joseph also wanted to strengthen their faith so that they might confidently hope that they would be at length delivered, that they would finally see the promised land. My question to you, church, is what's your confident hope? See, because what, the answer to that question is what determines if you have joy or not. What your, whatever your confident hope is, that's what you're going to pursue. And if it's a temp, temporary carnal thing of this world, you're not going to have joy. You're not going to have peace. You're not going to have endurance. Your character is going to be flawed. And you're going to lose hope in things. My next question is, what is shaping your confident hope? 
See, the thing about Joseph is he did not let his situation dictate his response of faith. Instead, Joseph's faith dictated his response to his situation. Guys, let me say that again. Joseph did not let situations dictate his faith. He let his faith dictate his response to situations. Joseph's faith is an example to us. A faith that is assured because he knows how the story ends. Guys, we know how the story ends, church. Faith is this is assurance of knowing that, the belief of that. Faith leads to joy, joy to endurance, endurance to strengthening our character, and that leads to a confident hope we have. What is your confident hope, church? Let me pray. God, we love you. God, thank you for being who you say you are. Thank you for your promises that never fail. God, you are consistent. You are constant. God, you are Yahweh. You are above everything else. You are God of gods. You are king of kings, God. I pray that we as a Jesus family, we as a church, our faith is the belief in the message of the gospel of you, Jesus, and not any other message that is going on in our world and our family but God and you and you alone. And through that, we have a confident hope that you will deliver, God. Not an expectation. Joseph didn't expect to see your promise fulfilled in his lifetime. But he knew you were going to do what you said you were going to do. God, I pray that we have the hope knowing that you are going to do what you said you were going to do, Jesus. We love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.